This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to Fantasy Football Today, DFS. I am Sian Ajad. That is Mike McClure. We are so close to football season. We're so close to the showdown slate, which we're going to talk about today. We're so close to the main slate and all the other slates we want to play. And frankly, Mike, that's what our show is going to be about today. We're going to talk about how to attack this week one main slate, the afternoon slate, whatever slate in contest you want to attack we're going to talk about how to do that early in the season and we're also going to build a showdown lineup like i said so at the end of the show we're going to not build an entire lineup but just talk about some plays that we like some plays that we might be fading uh mike let's let's get started i want to ask how you're doing and then i want to i want to talk about some updates some small updates that probably don't affect the dfs slate but affect the nfl as a whole and i want to talk about that well, first off, I'm doing great because it's September 1st, which to me, you might fight me on this, but today is the first day of fall for me. Once we hit September, it's football season. I'll call it fall. I know we still have half a month or whatever of summer, but it's fall. It's football season. There's a lot of college football today. There's day baseball. A lot of people know I love day baseball. There's the mm-hmm. U.S. Open going on. Oh, I'm just so excited. College football tonight, one week away from a showdown slate. I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, the beginning of fall is all a matter of perspective. I am down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, which is you know, adjacent to Miami. And fall doesn't begin until like November because of how sweltering hot it is through most of the fall months down here. You know, a couple of things I wanted to talk about before we talk about some of the stuff we're looking for um, with respect to week one DFS. Trey Sermon to the Eagles. Interesting pickup. In, in, I think it's particularly interesting because Miles Sanders did return to practice today. I know we've spent a lot of time just in the last week, week and a half, talking about guys like Kenny Gainwell in particular, who is 4,600 on the main slate. We've talked about Boston Scott. We've talked about the possibility that Miles Sanders will miss the game. It, I don't want to spend too much time here, but, but I assume this is at this point, even for week one, this is a situation to avoid. Yeah, I think it's got to be a situation to avoid. Uh, And and look, it's honestly interesting. Um, You know, if if this were a situation where, say, like the Eagles had had drafted Sermon or whatever, like that's someone they'd probably be like fans in general would be pretty excited about and pretty hyped about. So it's Mm -hmm. kind of interesting uh, seeing this pick up there. Not sure what it means for that backfield other than it likely means you're probably avoiding it. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I'll just point out that uh, Jalen Waddle looks like he's good to go week one. We haven't seen much of him. So somebody to keep an eye on. We talked about him last episode or even last week as, as a guy that we're not necessarily on him or Tyreek Hill, but let's let's see how it all plays out next week when we actually start building our player core out. I did want to point out a defensive guy that, that tore his ACL, unfortunately, and I hate this about the preseason and about training camp is guys step on the field any given moment they can be gone for the season. And unfortunately, edge rusher Harold Landry, Mike, this is your neck of the woods, of course, you being a Nashville Titans fan. You know, I don't know that people will really be worried about this from a DFS standpoint, because maybe they didn't want to play that Titans-Giants game that, again, we'll talk about in depth next week. There's plenty of guys you can play from that game. We'll talk about it. But I wanted to point it out because, Mike, give me your thoughts here. This seems like a pretty big loss. And oh, by the way, the Tennessee Titans are at Buffalo week two. Uh, that this could be a big problem for the Titans. Yeah, I think it's a big problem for the Titans. Uh, you know, look, it obviously sucks for him. It sucks for anyone. It's the most unfortunate part of the game. You mentioned preseason. Like you never, if if you're going to get hurt, at least make it count on the field in an actual mm-hmm. game. It's just so miserable to see that. But uh, as far as Week One, you know, it, it could have some betting impact. Not massive impact for the Giants matchup. However, I, I think it definitely is a big deal in week two against Buffalo. Um, you know, it's a great news for, for Josh Allen and company there. Um, you know, as far as DFS, though, I don't think it has a massive impact because in week one, considering all the pricing inefficiencies, you're likely not attacking the Giants. And, and then week two, it, it's pretty obvious that you're going to want to play some Buffalo Bills in some capacity. Uh, so I don't think it changes things significantly. Fair enough. Um, I do want to point out, and and by the way, I I already have, and it almost feels like a sucker bet at this point, but I already have the Colts to win that division. uh, And it's, you know, unfortunately because of injury, it's looking better and better in that regard. I had gotten it at plus 105. I think it's probably at like minus 120, minus 125 at this point. And I also have, and I want to point this out before we actually start talking about DFS week one, I also have the Eagles. I was actually able to find them at plus 165 to win the NFC East. And I, and I point that out because it looks like Jason Peters is visiting the Cowboys today. I don't believe by the time we're recording this on Thursday early evening that he has actually been signed. But to me, this really just spells out a problem. I mean, obviously, Jason Peters has, has had an amazing career. But the Cowboys offensive line, it's a problem. And we know they've lost you know players at the skill positions but by injury and free agency. And even on the defensive line, they've lost some players. I, I The vibes, uh, you know, I'm not asking you to make a play here, but seems like this is like Eagles Eagles or I, I can't imagine betting the Cowboys to win the NFC East at this point. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So, you know, not exactly what we always cover on the show, but my advice is, yeah, if you like the Eagles, I would take them now. If you like the Cowboys to win the division, I would wait. Uh, looking at the mm-hmm. Eagles schedule, they start here with the Lions at home against the Vikings, against the Commanders and against the Jaguars. Yes, the, the home game against the Vikings still going to be ultra competitive game. Uh, but very winnable game for them. There's a pretty reasonable scenario here where they start 4-0. If they start 4-0, that price point, you know, plus 160, plus 170, whatever you're finding, likely not to be there. Um, And then the Cowboys on the other side, uh, look, I I think that because of that easy schedule for the Eagles to start the season, you're probably going to be able to grab a better number on Dallas later in the year. Awesome. Okay, so let's start attacking week one of DFS. I, I want to start with, by the way, this is for everybody listening or watching on YouTube. By the way, that's youtube.com slash fantasy football today, where for the record, we will be doing live streams as well during the season. That Tuesday, Thursday show is very likely to be live. So you can get in the chat. You can ask us questions about particular players or game theory or roster construction. You are going to be more than welcome to do that. 
uh, when we fired up our early evenings, late afternoons, uh, likely around the five o'clock hour, Tuesdays and Thursdays all season. Uh, with that said, I want to talk about contest selection, which we covered in our offseason series quite a bit. But I just want to touch on some of these things that I think are going to be salient points to kind of carry over into week one. But before I do that, Mike, let me ask you this. Is there a different strategy that just overall, generally speaking, that you employ week one, week two, whereas it, it kind of like goes away, that, that edge or that strategy goes away by the time you're at week eight, week nine, for example? Yeah, definitely. So number one thing, you'll play more cash games, more head-to-heads, more 50-50 tournaments, things like that. Uh, there's just going to be more of them, right? Uh, you know, Look at throughout the week, those contests will be there, they will fill, etc. There will be more of them. There's more casual people playing. There's more money in the overall ecosystem. There's other sports that are going on as well. So that's something I want to touch on. We might touch on it later there too. You've got Sportsline at your disposal. You've got other resources as well. Don't be afraid to play other sports during the week too because those can be really soft in helping to build your bankroll because there's other people that play week one, get bored, waiting for action for the next weekend. They jump in the baseball streets. They do things like that. So in general, it's a good time to go play more cash games in week one, week two, week three of the season. Yeah, I want everybody to go ahead and and hit that button where you can go back 30 seconds because that's a really important point. When you have the casual people, and I'm not trying to be condescending when I say casual. I just mean people that don't really study it like, like, like Mike and I do or like the people that are listening to this show do. When you have them injecting money into the market and not necessarily getting all the information that that probably they need to actually be successful, well, not only is that affecting the NFL slate, but it's affecting all the other sports too because like Mike said, that they're not necessarily – waiting for Sunday or the Thursday showdown slate to spend that money or to leverage that money, however you want to, however you want to phrase that. So there's other sports that are going on where these quote casual players are putting money into those contests too. So it's a good time to play tournaments and to play those double ups and actually increase your bankroll before Sunday even rolls around. So I think that's a, an excellent point. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, and the other piece of advice for week one, week two, you know, real early in the season, If you're someone who's playing a limited number of contests, say you set out, you're going to play $20 worth of contests and you're wanting to play the 50-50s, even some of the tournaments and you're not playing the Millie Maker, you're playing a smaller tournament, do not be afraid. I know this sounds nerve-wracking, but do not be afraid to wait until 15 minutes before the contest starts to enter because contests fill with rapid volume in the final 20 to 30 minutes, which is typically where you're more likely to catch more of the casual players. What I don't recommend doing is going out right now and locking in your contest entry for a double up or a 50-50 contest because the people you're playing against right now, if you're doing that, are most likely professional players with heavy bankrolls, with heavy volume overall that have already taken some of that manual work and, and kind of you know front loaded it so they're not doing it on game day. But if you're someone who's only playing three or four entries or three or four contests at that spot, Try your best to enter those as late as possible. And I don't mean enter them with putting your lineup in, but actually joining that contest as late as you possibly can because you're more likely to catch a much softer overall contest in week one or two. So and I'm, I'm glad you touched on just kind of like playing cash games and tournament games. I wanted to ask you, Mike, before we get to maybe a global conversation as to maybe where the listeners, what type of contest they should be playing. Let, let's because, you know, one thing we do on this show is every Tuesday we go back and we actually look at our lineups. We go back and look at Mike's lineups, you know, the ones that did bad, the ones that cashed. And, and we go back and look at mine, the ones that did poorly and the ones that cashed. Can you just set up 
Mike, um, the types of contests that you're playing in? Yeah, definitely. So I will, of course, play the Millionaire Maker, but I, it's not the focus. It's a total afterthought. It is not something that I, I really put much energy into. Uh, I'm going to play a lot of head-to-head games, a lot of 50-50 games, but where I really make my money and where I really focus is going to be single-entry contests and then three and five max entry. So every week in the NFL season, I personally build five lineups, talking main slate. For the main slate, I play five lineups on each of the sites. All five of those go into the Millionaire Maker. One of them becomes a head-to-head optimal lineup that I will play in my 50-50 or head-to-head games. One of them becomes my single-entry lineup. So I've got three remaining. The three that are remaining are specifically built for three max entry contests and then, of course, I take the collection of all five and put them in the five of X entry contests. Uh, but the heavy focus for me is going to be single entry, three max entry, and five max entry, as opposed to the 150 max large tournaments. And I think part of the reason for that, not, not just for Mike, but for most people, the reason you should be considering the single entries and the three maxes and the five maxes is because you can max out those tournaments. A lot of people want to throw 20 bucks into the Millie Maker, or maybe they'll throw two or three lineups and think they're somehow getting ahead of the game because you know they doubled or tripled up their entries. Well, the reality is you're going up against guys or girls who put in 150 lineups or at least 100 lineups, and that's just not a good game to play. So if you instead of throwing that, tw- listen, I understand you wanting to have fun. If you have a big bankroll, go ahead and do that. But you're kind of throwing $20 away if you put one lineup in the Millie Maker. You could play that in a single entry. You could play that in a, as a part of a three max that you max out or in a double up. Like what, seeing green at the end of the week is going to be really important to you. And if you put all your tournaments and all, all your money into these tournaments that are just you'd, – you'd have to hit the perfect lineup to hit them, then you're, you're probably doing yourself a disservice. But there's something you said, Mike, that's really important to me. And it's something that I've actually refined my process a little bit too. You only make five lineups. And you you sort of segregate those lineups into certain contests, whether they be cash games or tournaments. And you have sort of a system in place, a process in place. Clearly, the process itself is important because you've refined it over time. And that's the process that you like. But here's the important part. I think I know when I've been unsuccessful in the past, it's because... I have diversified my portfolio way too much. It's the fear of missing out. I, I want to grab this guy and, and I didn't put him in a lot of lineups. So I'm going to enter this contest and make sure he's in that lineup. And, and what ends up happening is I start betting against myself because my player pool is just too big. And I think people who play just redraft can appreciate that too. When you're in five or six redraft leagues, you're really frustrated, right? Because you have, let's say, I don't know, Jonathan Taylor in one league, but you're going against him in another league. That's kind of what you're doing when you diversify your portfolio so much. So Mike, what I really appreciate from what you said is you make those five lineups. And I know from watching being on this show with you last year is that there's a lot of overlap across those contests. You kind of zone in on certain stacks that you like, certain players that you like, and there's not a ton of differentiation. So the point I want to make to the listener and I know it's it's hard because, again, fear of missing out. You want pieces everywhere so that you can hit. The reality is you end up betting against yourself when you diversify your portfolio too much. And what you really should be doing is condensing that player pool so that when you hit, you hit big, but also that when you hit, like you're really, you're really hitting across the board because of that player pool. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's one of my – a lot of people don't like to hear it also, but – how often you win is almost not important in the NFL. 
It's right. making sure that the times that you are right, that you get paid on those things. Every single year we've seen it. We've seen it with the two of us even as well. If you were to enter the same contest every single week, you're going to have one or two weeks out of the year that pay for the entire year worth of entry fees. You just have to make sure that you are around to get that to happen. Um, man, I lost, I lost the train of thought on what I was going to jump in, uh, on with, well, what you were saying there. So, and, and, and I'll give an example. So last week we went through every game. We talked about market inefficiencies. We talked about games that maybe the, the total's too low or it's too high. I encourage everybody to go back and listen to that. I actually had somebody ask me about, um, a certain question. I referred him to that podcast and I, I think he listened to it this afternoon. So that, that content is still very valid, but the, the point I'm trying to make is we went through every game and there were guys we liked and there were guys we didn't like. We like, we, of course we we like Jonathan Taylor. Of course, we like Christian McCaffrey. We like James Conner. We like Najee Harris. Well, guess what? If we play all of those guys, what are the chances we're going to win big? I mean, I, yeah, I guess in, in a single entry contest, if you have the perfect lineup, that's great. But the reality is that's too many people in your pool. You're too diversified. When you hit, you want to hit big. So you don't have to have a super narrow pool. It doesn't have to be just two or three running backs that you play across five or 10 or 15 lineups, but you do want to have a narrow pool. So for those of you, and I'm talking to myself too, because I'm guilty of this, for those of you that didn't win last year, you do need to sort of like assess. And, and we talked about this with Nick Brettwish in, in the offseason series. We talked about it with Megan Schaup. We, you got to go back and like take an accounting of, of what you did right and what you did wrong. And I promise you, if you didn't win last year, I promise you one of your issues was having way too many players in your player pool and diversifying way too much. Yes, I totally agree with that. And then there are other, the, the feeling of missing out on, on that player that you may want to play. Uh, one thing I'm going to focus on this year throughout all of our episodes too, just because sports betting is very popular across the country. The best way to hedge in a lot of those cases is to not go build another lineup with Jonathan Taylor in it just to play Jonathan Taylor. Mm -hmm. If you're afraid of missing out on Jonathan Taylor, go bet his over rushing yards prop or bet him to score a touchdown, right? Mm -hmm. Because there are still scenarios where I can bet Jonathan Taylor over 94 and a half rushing yards. He ends with 98 rushing yards. I cash that ticket. That's nowhere near enough for him to be must have status to win your fantasy lineups, right? Whereas if I had jammed him in, he had that median outcome, wasn't going to get me paid on that DFS lineup, I can still get paid over here, and I cannot ruin and waste additional entries on that. There, there's going to be a ton of that that I go over this season. I'm glad you said median outcome. I want to ask you a question as it pertains to tournaments, uh, because I think what a lot of people do is they'll they'll be on a website, uh, really any, it could be cbssports.com, it could be some sort of like paid website that you subscribe to. Um, could be sports line. And you look at projections and Mike, these, these projections, generally speaking, are median outcomes out, as opposed to ceiling or upside. I shouldn't say upside as opposed to ceiling outcomes. Correct. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and, and I don't, I mean, I like the term ceiling and floor. It's a very common term. I, I just like to refer to it as just like a true play, a player's true range of outcomes. Most projections don't capture a player's range of outcomes in any mm -hmm. way, shape, or form. It's truly a median projection, which is a glorified average fantasy points, right? Essentially. It's, it's more which, way more accurate than taking which frankly, points, Which, frankly, Mike, is not what you're looking for, right? You're not really looking to build a team with high median outcomes. You're looking to build a team that has a, a, like a, a certainly variance with, the, with respect to range of outcomes, but certainly a high ceiling. 
yes, you're looking for a high ceiling team and also just a team that's highly correlated, right? So that that's probably going to be the most important thing is finding and understanding the way the players in your lineup correlate or don't correlate with one another. Generally speaking, you're going to want at least two to three pieces of your lineup to have correlation with the other players in your lineup. Uh, but the the issue with median projections is you log on and every single website has Jonathan Taylor projected 22.4 points and Christian McCaffrey at 19.2. So because Christian McCaffrey is $200 more expensive than Jonathan Taylor, I can't play him because he's more expensive and he has a lower projection and it totally changes how often someone is rostered that the only time that I personally care about median projection is to compare it to projected ownership, right? That That's really the only time that I truly am going to care about it. Fair enough. Yeah. And I, I think people kind of trick themselves into following projections and not thinking of them in terms of ceiling outcomes. I mean, I, I want to think of a player and capture his ceiling outcome. There might be a guy with a high median projection that maybe is just fine for cash games because his floor is so high, but that's not necessarily what you're looking for. So that uh, obviously the correlation is going to be really important there, but looking at what those ups, what that upside could be, what that ceiling outcome could be, I think is really important. That's certainly something we emphasize on this particular show. I, I don't really see any value, frankly, in doing a show where I'm staring at median outcomes. I see value in it just looking, looking at that and just being prepared for the slate in general, but that's not really what I'm looking for when I'm building uh, a tournament lineup. Um, the, you know, one thing that came up in in uh, the conversation I had with the, the, the guy I referred our, our, our podcast last week to, he said, well, I don't have a lot of experience with, with NFL DFS, period. He's, he's a PGA guy, which, of course, everybody knows. Um, I do PGA stuff. Mike, you do PGA stuff at Sportsline as well. But he's like, you have to play chalk in NFL DFS, right? That was his actual question. And I said, no. You know, like in cash games you do, but you don't have to jam chalk in in tournaments. In fact, that you you, cer you certainly don't want to do that. We talked about that last week when, when we talked about some players like Mike Davis, who at least for now we think might be a little chalky at 4,400 because of how that backfield is shaping out. So I, I, I wanted to ask you first just that chalk question. When it comes to tournaments specifically, and maybe even cash too, but tournaments specifically – how do you address that? I know when we talked last year, there's certain chalk you just have to play. Like when Alexander yep. Madison is, is out and you know, is playing because Dalvin Cook is out, you know, th that type of chalk makes sense, right? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of chalk that makes sense. Uh, and, and I'll be the first to say I'm not afraid to play the chalky players and, and have multiple of them in the lineup. Uh, the thing that you need to be more concerned with is just how unique is your overall combination of players, right? You don't want to have, you know, what a, a mistake that I see people make also as well is in an attempt to avoid chalk, they, they will build terrible lineups just to intentionally fade mm -hmm. the players that in most cases are projected to be the best players on the slate. Like they're chalky players for a reason in a lot of instances. And, you know, determining which is a good chalk and which is a bad chalk is obviously the biggest skill set that, that you need to really succeed at this point. Uh, but I wouldn't say that I would be too worried about like, oh, I've got this guy in my lineup. He's projected at 50% ownership because he's a backup running back. That's fine. I'm going to jam him in. But because I jammed him in, I really can't play Cooper Cup now because he's also going to be 34% owned. And mm -hmm. that's just so far from the truth, right? 
Uh, so just understanding where the good chalk is, where the bad chalk is, and understanding the overall combination of the lineup is so much more important than worrying about someone being 23% owned versus 17% owned. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Yeah, and I think that is a nice segue to talking about ownership in general. I mean, there's a lot to pull from. So it's a lot different than PGA DFS because you 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 basically, like it might be a 150-person field, but you, you kind of know where the, the chalk is going to be. I think you know that in the NFL too, but you can diversify. You, you can, Your roster construction, it's a lot easier to be different in the NFL because there's so many, on the main slate in particular, because there's so many ways to make your roster different. So to your point, Mike, I think you're right. I, I mean, obviously you're right. I mean, in terms of playing chalk, it's very easy to play chalk and diversify how your roster construction. Make sure it's different. Make sure you get off the other chalky guys that you know everybody is going to be playing. Um, with that said, yeah, there's good chalk and there's bad chalk, right? So that's something we're just going to have to dive into. I, I played plenty of bad chalk last year. I played plenty of, uh, of uh, quote, good chalk. But ownership's really important, right, Mike? Uh, yeah, ownership is incredibly important. Uh, and just understanding where you can gain leverage uh, on the field that that's going to be the most important thing. And when we talk about gaining leverage on the field, it, it goes back to looking at medium projections a lot of the time, because when we've got that player that's, you know, everywhere across the industry is three points higher in medium projection and cheaper, everyone's going to play that player. Um, you know, as long as they have similar ranges of outcomes, you're highly incentivized to play the other player in a lot of cases. Uh, and that's no different here with the chalk, but you'll, you'll look at, at some of the chalk and there, there's a player that's 40% owned and we know he's going to be 40% owned. And the issue with that is he should be 80%, right? Based off the projection and the price point and the position itself. Uh, so one thing we're going to try to help navigate for listeners this year is really identifying what we will take stances on good chalk, bad chalk uh, really every week. Yeah, I think that might be a really good segment for us to do too, Mike, a, a good chalk, bad chalk segment. It's obviously always somewhat contingent upon your roster construction, uh, but that's, again, that's something we'll detail. W one thing before we get out of some of this, you know, this week one DFS strategy, I, I do feel like we have to talk about some of the like main things we talked about last year with respect to looking at payouts and looking at slate se selection. Now, if you're on DraftKings, you can go to contest details and you can see how many people are being paid out. Obviously, there's other filters. Mike, Roto-Grinders still has a has a um, addendum for that too, right? Yeah, Roto-Grinders will have a browser extension that you can install on Google Chrome that will calculate a lot of the 
tournament details, whether it's number of entries, percentage of the prize pool to first, percentage to 10, the, the top 10, how many get paid out. So you don't have to sit there and manually calculate all that. Uh, there is an extension that will do that for you. Right. And that, that's that's free, right? It is a free extension, yes. Yeah. And for the record, it's super easy to calculate it too. I mean, it's kind of annoying. You, you might as well use the extension, but it's really just simple division in terms of how many people are being paid out, how many people are in the contest. But do you have a general rule, Mike, when it comes to payouts? I do. I mean, I want the, I personally like a relatively flatter payout structure. Like one thing we can rule out immediately is typically the millionaire maker. Um, just having, you know, in some cases it's literally 50% of the prize pool to first place. Uh, obviously not something you want to get involved in unless you truly have the bankroll to do it. And if you have the bankroll to do it, you need to make sure that you have the ability to also build 150 good lineups and not, yeah. Uh, but as far as what I like to attack, um, you know, I'm looking for single entry, three max entry. Uh, I, I want to spend most of my time there. The good news about those tournaments is they typically have the best payout structure in general as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so you don't have to spend a ton of time thinking about it nearly as much. Um, and, and then the other... I'm trying to think of the best way to. So, and I'll tell you one thing. I certainly, you, you, I love the millimaker example because if you look at what gets paid out in first place and you look at the percentage of what that is for the overall payouts, it's it's not great. Like that's those aren't the contests you want. But one thing I look for, Mike, is percentage of people paid. So, I mean, I don't know that I have a rule, but but in NFL DFS, you're looking for what twenty two to twenty four percent. Yeah, I mean, ideally, anything above twenty percent is definitely something you'd want to consider playing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that the the only other thing I wanted to cover with you before we build a showdown lineup in this, or not build a lineup, but talk about some plays in this this uh, Bills Rams game next week. Slate selection. We touched on this a little bit last week, uh, or on, on Tuesday actually, when we talked about the afternoon slate and we talked about the main slate. Uh, like I said, my biggest success last year from a consistency standpoint was to play that afternoon slate. Um, tell me, do you, I know you play the afternoon slate, Mike, but do you all obviously you play the main slate? Are there any other slates or any types of contests? We have the tiers contest as well. Any other types of contests you play? Uh, I don't play the tiers as much as I should, honestly. Uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity in them just because a lot of people, again, are going to use medium projections and tier, 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 grab the guy that, that's got the, you know, either the consensus best matchup or the consensus higher medium projection. So I should play those more. Um, I play the 1 p.m. only slates as well. Um, the reason why I play those is because while, yes, more people load up on 1 p.m. games than afternoon games, uh, there are decent teams to play on the West Coast that still score a lot of points. Uh, so in any given week, there's still a lot of players that are going to be highly owned. It may not be a whole lineup, but in you know certain weeks, the Rams are at home. Cooper Cup on a main slate still 25% owned. They're playing in a competitive game. Multiple players on the other team and other games like that are going to be 10 to 15% owned on the main slate. They're all typically very expensive players. So it changes rosters pretty significantly from the 1 p.m. slate to the full slate. Um, and, and it's very similar to the 4 p.m. slate, you know, the afternoon slate only. There's not really a ton of content around for those slates to, to really optimize it. If you want a main slate optimal lineup, you can go find one pretty easily. And, you know, in 2022, 2023, it's going to be a lineup that's not going to be terrible. Like it's going to be relatively competitive uh, at this point. 
So I recommend playing 1 p.m. only and afternoon only just because there's simply not as much content that you're competing with out there. So one thing that triggers, especially when it comes to the main slate, Mike, is late swap. That was something we were really fixated on last year. And I, and I know with a lot of the more casual betters and casual DFS players that are coming in in, in the, you know, the front end of this NFL season, and they might just dissipate and sort of go away in the middle of the season. Who knows? But they're probably going to be a lot less inclined to late swap. So I think late swap is even more important at the beginning. of. Well, it's important regardless, but I think there should be even more of an emphasis at the beginning of the season. And for those of you that don't know what late swap is for, for DraftKings in particular, because I'm not, I'm not so sure you can do it on FanDuel, but you can change out your players until that game locks. So if you're on the main slate and you have a lot of guys in the afternoon slate and you're not doing so hot, then you can actually, especially if you have some chalky players in, in, in the afternoon slate, you can come off those guys, come to some contrarian plays, contrarian stacks, and all of a sudden that lineup that's, that's you know, sitting in the bottom third all of a sudden is in, you know, the top 25% and, and, and you certainly get a cash there. So, or you most likely get a cash there. So late swap, Mike, super important. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's probably the most important thing. Um, especially if you're someone who wants to play cash games. I like to play a lot of head-to-head -head games. I know that's maybe intimidating to other users, uh, but you'll find that the score needed on average is definitely going to be lower than pretty much any other contest. Um, you'll have many weeks where you'll miss the cash line in tournaments. I'll miss the cash line in 50-50s, but I'm still going to win 20 to 25% of my head-to-head -head matchups because you're likely not the only one that missed on a few of those really great spots, right? Mm -hmm. But the biggest thing that you can do is I love to play head-to-heads because the second that the head-to-head -head locks and the 1 p.m. slate starts, I can go identify pretty easily who my opponent has left. Uh, and you could start to make certain decisions based off of who they have left, what they've done. Uh, th there are other scenarios where you can literally, like, say you're, you know who the other person has in the late slate, right? You're ahead of them or you're tied heading in. But with your last roster spot, you've got a very expensive player. They've got someone else. It's still risk-free. You can go swap to who you have calculated that they have mm -hmm. and guarantee yourself a win and not take any sort of risk by doing that. If you want to sit there and take the time to look through your head-to-heads and identify who your opponents have, where you can find opportunities to late swap. And then if you're playing head-to-heads consistently, you can also identify opponents and some of their tendencies you'll find that you'll see the same usernames out there pretty frequently some of them will never play players in the afternoon slate um, so I, I think that late swap is a massive massive edge uh you just you have so many opportunities to make a better lineup as you have more information that becomes useful and, and just to be clear for those of you that are somewhat new to DraftKings, um mike obviously when when you're saying you know, late swap for the afternoon games. You can't literally see who they're playing, but you're you're making uh you're making an estimation as to who they're likely playing based on their lineup and and what the late games are. Right. Yes. So based on that, you can see the lineup that they built so far. In many cases, they might have one or two players left. And say, for example, they have a seventy-seven. They have seventy-seven hundred dollars in salary cap left with one wide receiver spot. He's probably going to be playing Keenan Allen of the yeah. Chargers right, in this spot. Mm -hmm. So you can understand that based off what you might have left. And based on the results from earlier in the day, at that point, you might want to make a swap in who you have left to give yourself a higher probability of doing that head-to-head. -head. Or, for example, 
we were taking a shot on someone in the one o'clock game and the one o'clock game's not going well, right? We're, we're not going well and we haven't scored the touchdown. We haven't done the things. Your lineup is most likely dead. And the reason why we know it's most likely dead is because all you've got left is chalk, which is what everybody else has. So the thing that you can do at that point, knowing that that lineup is likely dead, you can come in and start to take some chances, start to build a what-if scenario for that lineup and backdoor your way into kind of minimum cashing some of those lineups. It sounds crazy. It sounds like a lot of work, but it'll happen to you. Trust me. You'll have that guy that you like loved at 8% owned that did absolutely nothing in that first slate that's when you have to go rebuild your lineup to give it any chance of cashing. And when you do that, you're going to save yourself so many buy-ins throughout the course of the year. Even doing it in one to two weeks, it changes everything from a bankroll perspective. Yeah, and I, I think it's such a massive edge when it comes to that, that those head-to-head contests because I think most people conceive of late swap in cash a little bit, mostly in tournaments. Like, let me let me change this up a little bit. It's not going very well. But you're right. In head-to-head contests, like to, to your point, let's say they have – let's say they have 7,000 left and, and they've got one receiver. And this is just an example for convenience, but they have one receiver left. Well, yeah, that's probably going to be Keenan Allen at 7,000. Uh, it could be Mike Williams at 6,600. But the point is, it's, it's mo- they most likely left 7,000 there for a reason. And uh, especially when you have one primary receiver, maybe if it's not the, uh, the, the Charger situation, maybe it's an expensive Devontae Adams. Well, you know they're not paying they're not going to leave 2000 on the table because they want to take Renfro. You know they're saving that spot for Adams. So you can literally, if you have the salary, switch yours to Adams. You could have a, a 0.5 point lead and you know you've locked up a win at that point. Exactly. Yeah, and, exactly. And then I'll go back to the late swap one more time for tournaments though too. The reason why you would want to do it in a tournament, which this is the one that it's hard to do, right? And mentally, it's tough to get there. You're doing really well in a tournament. And you see all the player minutes remaining are the same because you and nine other people right here, you're going to finish in the top 10%, but you've got the same lineup with the same PMR. You've got all the same players going, right? Do you make that swap? Depends on what your goal is. Is your goal the minimum cash or is your goal to go win it? In that situation, you should probably be late swapping to get off of that, playing someone who you project to have a lower fantasy point projection just understanding the range of outcomes and the payoff if that player outscores the guy that you all have and the guy that you all like, it could be massive for you. So you need to be paying attention to those kind of things. I, I don't want it to be the thought process being, I, I need to late swap because it's not going well. It could be the exact opposite. It could be yeah. going incredibly well. And you also might have been taking a shot on Mike Williams over Keenan Allen in that game. It's going incredibly well. You're like, oh, well, maybe let let me take the conservative route here because I'm playing in a single entry contest and I don't really need to be that cute anymore, right? There are so many opportunities to late swap. And I know uh, another thing that we did um, and and that I did, uh, thanks in part to your tutelage, you you can submit in a three max two of the lineups that are exactly the same and and keep one as is that that is going to you know is going to fall into that 10 percent and switch the other one in the late swap to make that one different so you ride until the four o'clock games and then you get the benefit of having a good lineup and you change one of them and you keep the other one the same yep uh that you brought up an excellent point because one of the best tournaments you know and i, I recommend this to people all the time the based on your bankroll there's a three dollar tournament out there and then there's the, the $20 tournament or, you know, things like that, right? And it leaves people frustrated because they, they want a little bit more than the three. They don't want the 20. What I typically recommend to people is 
because the twenty the three dollar tournament's always at least a twenty max. Take your lineup and enter the exact same lineup three times. Now mm-hmm. you've effectively made that a nine dollar entry. You created your own price point. Not only you created your own price point, but on the times that you're right, you're getting paid three different times with that same lineup. But it gives you the flexibility to go late swap in the afternoon, really, no matter how it's going, based off new information, based off of seeing some of the actual ownership and the remaining projected ownership of the field. You can go give yourself three different entries that are very similar, just slightly different based on how your results are going. And again, you've created that new buy-in that really doesn't exist. This is the type of insight that you can expect from Fantasy Football Today DFS. We're not going to just say like, this is who I, who's in my pool and this is who is not in my pool. This is who I'm fading. This is who I'm playing. Like, that's all great. And, and generally, we, we have some, some great picks. But I think some of the game theory is super important because even though people hear this type of game theory, it's really hard for them to actually institute. It's really hard for them to actually play um, according to the advice they've listened to, because, you know, we're all, you know, we're all creatures of habit, right? And so if we can get you to that next level of thinking where you're actually employing the advice as opposed to considering it, well, now I think you have an edge over most of the people that are playing DFS against you. All right, we have a few minutes left, Mike. I, I do want to talk about Showdown really quick. Maybe some some captain plays that you like. And I, I know Frank is going to pull up the board here. If you're watching us on YouTube, we have the 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 Showdown lineup uh, in front of us in terms of the player pool. Uh, captain spot, Mike. Uh, you know, we have Cooper Cup at the top. We got Josh Allen, Matt Stafford, Stefan Diggs. And then we've got some guys that, you know, I think people will consider in the captain spot, like Gabe Davis, for example, Cam Akers, maybe even Devin Singletary. Wh- where are you looking at from a captain standpoint? Yeah, so captain standpoint here, it, you, you have to start with Josh Allen and Cooper Cup. Uh, mm-hmm. And most of the entries, that that's going to likely be where you're going to be at looking for optimal type lineups. Um, you know, typically when you're playing a quarterback there, you really want to handcuff them with the, the best pass catchers as well. The thing that's unique about Josh Allen is you may not have to do that in a one game slate because of his rushing upside and just general rushing upside in the red zone as well. Um, so Josh Allen's definitely going to be the, the first uh, captain choice. You know, if I were to run all the lineups, say you ran 100 I would have Josh Allen probably 30% at the captain, which is a pretty high number. We don't typically see anything above 22 to 25 on most showdown slates, uh, but this could be the exception there. It's going to be him and Cooper Cup easily going to be the top two in ownership. Uh, Matthew Stafford will come in just behind that, but after that, it gets super interesting. Um, I, I think you'll see people take a shot on Diggs just because of the name value. Gabe Davis versus Diggs is certainly super interesting. Uh, and then it's just a matter of how far down y- you want to go. Um, you know, you can take you can take shots, right? Uh, we we I played Van Jefferson and the captain quite a bit in, in some of these slates. Uh, it really comes down to the roster construction and the overall like. You know, let, let me try and build a lineup here where we're just looking at the flex and say we're not going to play Cooper Cup or Josh Allen in the flex, but we're going to play all of Cooper Cup, Josh Allen, Matthew Stafford, all in the flex. That's going to leave us with an average salary remaining around $5,000. Now you have to kind of get creative here. Um, mm-hmm. So this, let's say Van Jefferson's healthy, ready to go, et cetera. We like him as a pass catcher for Matthew Stafford. You throw him in there, now you've got 3900 left. 
this gives me a, it's, it's a dummy build, but I, I like it a lot because it's going to give me the two kickers. Uh, this, I, I love the kickers for both of these teams mm-hmm. uh, just because of the volume and the pace of play. So we put Jefferson at captain. Now you tack in the two kickers. Uh, that is something that you could conceivably run out there in, in more of you know, some of the contests, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, as of right now, it's still a little too early for me to build legitimate showdown lineup for this game. Um, but this is showing you that while Van Jefferson certainly won't be your optimal captain choice, it's not the worst captain choice in the world when you consider you have Cooper Cup and his quarterback, Matthew Stafford. You've still got Josh Allen. You've still got all the kicking points in what we presume to be a pretty high-scoring game. And for the record, if you don't want to roster the two kickers, you got Isaiah McKenzie down there who does ha- currently have an undisclosed injury. But um, right. it, by all appearances, he's probably playing on that Thursday night opening game. So that's a guy I know if he's healthy, a lot of people will be jamming in. But there's plenty of other options there. You got Zach Moss, James Cook. We, we're going to touch on this game a little bit uh, on Tuesday in terms of talking about the game flow, the game script. Because one thing we know from Showdown, one thing we definitely learned from Mike in Showdown, because he is the Showdown specialist, is game script really, really matters when it comes to Showdown. It matters in general, too. But you got to really take a stand when it comes to um, game script and how you think the game is going to flow. It's a 52.5 point total. It's a 2.5 point spread. The Bills are favored. So that's going to be a very, very um, interesting game to to discuss. I'll tell you, next week, Tuesday, Thursday, we're going to talk about the main slate, and we're actually going to start finally getting into our player pool. We're actually going to talk about the guys we are going to be playing. We'll touch on this showdown slate too, but we're going to go through every game. Every single week, we're going through every single game. We're going through the players that we like, the players that we're fading, the contrarian stacks, the contrarian roster constructions. Um, we're going to be your home for all of that stuff. So uh, we're going to be doing it live too. So we can't wait to, to man, next week, right? I mean, it's literally next week. I can't believe it. I, I actually can't believe it, Mike. Um, I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you the final thoughts on we're on the precipice of football for the next four or four months or so. We absolutely are. Uh, look, I, I've got college football kicking off in one hour. Uh, I've got a tasty first quarter under bet that I'll be sweating to really kick things off. But it's awesome to think that this time next week, we will be basically previewing and locking in lineups for the showdown slate. Oh, it's going to be so glorious. Can't wait. It, it's amazing. And I will be doing that Thursday show from Vegas. Tuesday, we'll, I'll be here in South Florida. Thursday, I'll be in Vegas. Mike will be in Nashville. That's our look at how to approach the main slate. That's our just taste of some of the showdown slate. And we're going to see you uh, next week breaking down the main slate. I can't wait. See you next week on Fantasy Football Today, DFS. DFS.